Bring it in. Bring it in. Bring it in. Bring it in for the Hootsard Huddle podcast presented by HootsardHuddle.com. It's the pot of open discussion and open dialogue. We talk about a handful of topics that fall under the blanket of sports, entertainment, politics, and business. These are my friends, my people, my fam. You are now inside the huddle. Bringing in Michael Hotard back here for another episode of the Hotard Huddle podcast. I'm excited for this episode in particular because I'm joined by three of my best friends, uh, which of course two of them were on the last episode when we did our draft special part one. This is part two, so joining me again, of course, is Danny Hillman, Matt Labatou, and then we got a third guest, my buddy Cortland Taylor, and uh, last year we did a mock draft. So we did something similar last year. We only did round one and we did it live and on the podcast. Well, for this year, we have already predetermined. You can view the full results of that two round mock uh, on this post. And uh, we're going to go ahead and talk about some of the moves that were made. Plenty of trades, a lot of good things, a lot of fun stuff happening uh, with our mock draft. I'll explain a little bit more about it. But before we do that, here's a message from my sponsor. Hi, I'm Michael Hotard, creator of the Hotard Huddle and host of this awesome pod. In today's world of disinformation and misinformation, what if I told you there's an easy way to be informed about where you spend your money? Cluey Consumer. Download Cluey Consumer in the App Store or visit their website, clueyconsumer.com. Cluey can help you be an informed and conscious consumer. The app allows you to search for brands that you buy from every single day. The best part, it's totally free. The creators of Cluey Consumer hope to one day cover every purchase and every social, environmental, and political impact of those purchases. For example, my family frequently shops at Publix. With Cluey, I know that 73% of Publix political ad campaign spending goes to Republicans. The app doesn't have bias. It doesn't tell you how or where to purchase goods from. It just allows you to see exactly where that dollar could be going. Download Cluey Consumer today for free and become a more informed consumer. That's Cluey Consumer, C-L-U-E-Y Consumer. And again, totally free in the App Store. For more information, visit clueyconsumer.com. You got four draft nerds on this podcast, uh, four people who probably take the draft way more serious than we should, but we don't give a shit. We enjoy it. Draft day is like Christmas to us. Uh, but we did this two-round mock uh, again where each of us sort of took on the GM reins. Now, the way we did this, we didn't construct it in a way that we were drafting necessarily as to what we think those teams would do. We did it as if we were drafting for those teams going full armchair GM here. So without further ado uh, to my three dudes on here, welcome back to the show. I'm excited to have y'all on. Uh, let's go ahead and start this off with any opening thoughts on this draft. Um, Cortland, you didn't get much talking time because, well, you weren't here for the last episode. So let's start with you. As far as this year's draft is concerned, man, I feel like it's probably one of the 
most unknown uh, of the unknowns when the draft is considered because you got guys like Trey Lance who's had a couple of games, but it, very intriguing stats. You know, you might take him. You have a guy like Justin Fields. He's, he's going all over the place, especially with the epilepsy uh, diagnosis that's been kind of going around. His draft stocks has been kind of going all over the place. And with a guy like Mac Jones, you know, who's a proven winner this year and, you know, quote unquote, the, uh, uh, poor man's Joe Burrow, if you will say that. Uh, and then you got, you know, Trevor Lawrence, who, you know, that's guys gift to football this year. So it's going to be very interesting to see where those five guys go. Um, I know my man Danny's over there throwing the arms up like he's ready for Jacksonville to go ahead and turn that card in tonight. But, you know, it's, it's going to be very fascinating. And I can't forget about Zach Wilson, you know. That's a lot of unknown about him. He's a guy who played against uh, – in a minimal competition, uh, I'll say that, but he still uh, week in and week out showed that he has the attributes uh, to be a proven winner in the NFL. But another thing I want to talk about is the receivers. I think this year is a very uh, deep receiver class as well. Not as deep as last year, but I think you're going to see a lot of uh, quote-unquote slot receivers come out this year. And, and that's, you know, some things that some of these – quote unquote spread teams are going towards they need to find guys who can make moves and give you mismatches in the slot you know uh, and give you some of that little jet sweep because the jet sweeps are starting to come uh, back in the NFL now so you got to have guys who can do a little bit of the boat so it's gonna be interesting to see where some of these teams trying to take their uh take their organizations and try to get new images you know you got quarterbacks receivers running backs offensive linemen who's looking for new homes so just curious to see where those guys fall well just going to the quarterbacks here, it's something we obviously touched on very heavily, but one point you brought up, um, the uncertainty with quarterbacks. It's funny because each of them now have sort of a stigma. So, And what I mean by that, it just came out, Trevor Lawrence, uh, I, I, he didn't catch a ton of flack for it, but he caught some flack for saying that football isn't necessarily the, the number one priority. He was trying to say there's more to life than football, basically. And... Uh, of course, with the draft, we're going to overplay every fucking thing imaginable that is said. So you have that with Trevor Lawrence. Zach Wilson supposedly is the fucking Bo Callahan of this draft, draft day reference, um, as he's got some backstories about his leadership, whatever the case may be. Um, then you have Justin Fields, which you mentioned, the epilepsy, which made me kind of think of this train of thought. Um, Trey Lance, again, small school, easy stigma there. But then you have Mac Jones, fucking dad bod supreme. Um, it looks like Brady did when yeah. Brady was coming out. So we'll see. But, uh, Matt, I'll turn it over to you um, before we get started with our draft. Opening thoughts. Um, by the time this releases, it is draft day. So what's going through the head? <laughs> I think, uh, well, with this draft, it's weapons galore. Like, do you want a weapon for your team? I feel like you can just go out in this draft and get one especially with the game kind of being tailored towards offense with all these receivers coming out this year, uh, you have all these quarterbacks coming out. I think you're going to a lot of see, uh, see a lot of like transformation on teams offenses. You're going to see a lot of teams look a lot different. And I think it's just going to be exciting, you know, see where these guys go, uh, see who Kyle Shanahan's going to get to be his quarterback. I think that's going to be a really big storyline. A lot of people are saying Mac Jones, I'm still not hundred percent sold. I'd say I'm probably like 90% sold at this point. Well, dude, you, you it's, funny hold some hope that, uh, I think... it's funny because after no, we released that first uh, 
that first podcast, you know, I obviously kept making the joke and putting in SpongeBob text. It's not Mac Jones because literally all of us, it's not Mac Jones. It's not Mac Jones. It's not Mac Jones. And then literally a day later, it was reported, oh, the 49ers are taking Mac Jones. But of course, that train has Mac died Jones. down. <laughs> and now the Vegas odds have Justin Fields being the guy, which is who we all were kind of saying um, in that episode. But yeah, it's that three and four pick are going to set the tone for that first round for sure. Um, but Danny, overall opening thoughts. Um, I mean, it reminds me a lot of the draft with uh, Darnold, who actually ironically impacts this draft where there's, you know, five first rounders. Um, you kind of know, you obviously know who's going number one. Um, and then it kind of waterfalls from there. You know, the whole, you know, Zach Wilson, Bo Callahan thing. I'm a believer in that. Um, Ryan Leaf meet Jimmy Clausen, and I think that's kind of uh, where you're at with him. But interesting to see it. Um, the other thing I, I'm interested to see is, you know, we put so much into these these mocks, you know, every year um, reading them from people, you know, every analyst that is out there puts out a mock at teams. Um, and I feel like this is the first year in a while where, almost pick 12 to pick 52 are interchangeable. There's a lot of depth in this year's draft. Um, so I'm interested to see what teams go for best player available, what ones go for need. Um, and then of course, you know, we have to have the trades that that's one of the most exciting things about round one during the draft is all the trades that happen. Um, and just seeing where where the players are going to fall, right? And not just these players, but who's going to be out of a job because you just drafted your replacement. You know, it's a, a cool little stigma with that. So uh, excited. You know, I look forward to the draft. We have our ritual. Let's roll. Right. Draft day and, uh, you know, wall-to-wall coverage all fucking day. It's great. Without the best day of the year. I'll talk um, to you more than my wife that day, and it's <laughs> not even close. <laughs> hey, well, I'm proud to be in that number. Um, so let's get right into the skinny of our mock draft. So um, just looking at the top 10, I'll go ahead and kick it off here. Um, no surprise with the first two, um, Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson. And again, I want to reiterate the way this mock draft worked. We drafted as if we were the GMs of that team not necessarily thinking of what the GMs of those teams are going to do. This is essentially like doing a Madden fantasy draft, except in real life with this current draft class. So um, just kind of spiraling off the top 10, I'll read it off there. Um, as my cat, I don't know if that can be heard, but uh, my cat's deciding to need shit behind me, piece of shit. But um Trevor Lawrence goes one to the Jags. Zach Wilson uh, goes two to the Jets. Justin Fields uh, goes third to the Niners. Um, I held the fourth pick with the Falcons. I ended up trading that as Cortland made the move to trade up uh, from 15 with the Patriots, gave a King's ransom to get that spot uh, and take Trey 
Lance, which screams Patriot move. Um, then we have uh, Panay Sewell going to the Bengals. Uh, Danny, you know, protecting Joe Burrow. Uh, Pitts going six to the Dolphins. Jamar Chase, seventh to the Lions. Uh, Rashawn Slater to the Panthers, protecting Sam Darnold. This was a bit of a surprise. Um, with Mac Jones on the board, Danny had the ninth pick with Denver. Stayed put, took Micah Parsons, which I think is a great move. Uh, just a little bit of a surprise. Um, and then rounding out the top 10, we had uh, Patrick Surton go to the Cowboys. So overall with that top 10, I mean, I th- it's pretty status quo of what we're probably going to see um, come draft day minus maybe that fourth pick, but that still could happen. So um I think so in uh, before I turn the field over to someone else here um so those trade details so as the Falcons I received the Patriots 15th pick the 40 uh pick 46 so their second round plus a 2022 first third and sixth so I turned one pick into five there um, as Cortland made the move to get Trey Lance. So I'll, I'll just turn it over to Cortland. Um, so if you're sitting there at G, as GM of the Patriots, you know, why why give that King's ransom for Trey Lance? Well, it's simple. We've been holding on to that King ransom for 18 years. <laughs> we, had, <laughs> we had Tom Brady uh, at the helm for, the, you know, basically two or three decades, I felt like. But now is the time for Bill Belichick to come kind of show his hand. He's able to splurge a little bit. He showed that hand this year in free agency. I think he spent, what, close to $100 million on contracts this year. And, uh, you know, if you got a guy like Cam Newton going out, you know, it's probably maybe another year or two of being an effective quarterback. And when I mean effective, uh, I guess you can kind of judge that on your own. Uh, his arm is kind of diminishing. Uh, his body is breaking down, you know, and uh, now you're looking at Trey Lance, He's a younger, more athletic Cam Newton, and even uh, obviously a more accurate passer than Cam Newton. Uh, the thing about it is, is Josh McDaniels finally gets to groom his own quarterback, uh, and I think that's huge, especially you know gearing towards going towards a quote-unquote more uh, quarterback run-heavy offense. Uh, and I think that's kind of Trey Lance's repertoire, and I think he will be able to have. Uh, uh, extremely high ceiling by just sitting behind Cam Newton for a year. And I think that's an ideal situation for him. He won't be rushing to be a starter. He'll be able to learn the system. Uh, Josh McDaniels is one of the best quarterback tutors in, uh, in the league. So I'm extremely anxious to see what he does with Trey Lance. I think that will be uh, a move that will save them from uh, losing the AFC completely uh, to the Bills. And I, I think that's the move that's going to kind of save their franchise. Well, overall, I mean, again, giving up the amount of picks, um, you know, when we were doing this mock draft, of, draft, of course, we did the trades in secret, you know, would text each other privately. Hey, look, I want I want this pick. Um, and I was flirting with giving that pick up, I believe, to Danny. And I think you were trying to trade up with the Broncos. Um, and we were negotiating, hit a stalemate. I'm like, I'm not doing that. And then Cortland comes in hot and I was just like, yeah, you're not beating that deal. And then comes through and then that's what it was. But um, no, I mean, I don't, if, if I was going to grade that move, I mean, 
you obviously gave up a lot, but you see the going rate of what your quarterback goes for in today's NFL. Yeah. I mean, it's not cheap. So, um, you could always overall, be the Redskins uh, with uh, RG3 and a. Uh... Yeah. Yeah, ransom, and we still trying to recover today from that, you know. So, and then they took Kirk Cousins in round three that same year. So, as long as you don't take another quarterback, you know, with the Patriots at some point, you're fine. But uh, no, overall, brilliant move, brilliant move. Um, and you know, for me, as as I was sitting there with the pick with the Falcons, obviously, if you're giving me five draft picks. I, I I'll give that up all day, especially given who they have at quarterback right now, even though again, he's on his way out, but he's got a little bit longer shelf life than Newton, it seems. So, um, so uh, Matt, what did you think of the uh, big trade in the top 10? I think it's not, not, maybe not necessarily the Patriots, but I think you'll probably see a big splash trade like that. Uh, and, and the real draft, too, which should be pretty exciting, pretty interesting. But I thought it was a great move. If you're the Patriots GM, it's it's great for Atlanta to stockpiling those draft picks because I think uh, maybe they're sort of teetering towards rebuilding, although I think that offense is still pretty nice uh, with Atlanta, with Matt Ryan and then those uh, receivers. But and then you got Arthur I think Smith as the OC or as the head coach there now. Very offensive-driven mind. Uh, you saw what he did in Tennessee. I feel like that offense was, you know, pretty damn consistent, if nothing else. Uh, but I, I love the trade for the Patriots as well. Uh, like Cortland was saying, you kind of had the riches of the king for 18 years. It's kind of time to do something to hopefully get another guy in there that can win for 18 uh, more years. But I thought it was a, a pretty, pretty damn good trade. Hell for yeah, both sides. man. Danny, what's your what's your take on the big trade? Um. Yeah, I, w- I was – I guess I'll describe it from my end, right? Because you and I pretty much were counter, we were counter, one counter. Pick we're narrowing away it down. from making a deal. We're, like we're trying to decide on where to sign the – you know, put the ink to the paper. Um, it was too much for me to give up with the, the Broncos at nine. Um, jumping – from 15 to four, I feel like you got to make a splash. You know, you got to give away those picks. Um, also, you know, Billy Belichick's not getting any younger. So <laughs> as soon as it got traded, I said, it's Bill Swan song, you know, um, because he knows he's got to get it done, you know, and not, I mean, I kind of feel like that guy's going to be able to coach in New England until he decides. Um, but he knows he needs to move forward and fast. Um that ultimately is one of the reasons why I took Parsons at nine because I wanted Trey Lance. I'm not a big believer in Mac Jones. I think Mac Jones is a second round QB. Um, and it's not a dis, not any disrespect to him. I just think he's the product of the draft type this year. seems like there's one guy every year this year. It's Mac Jones. Um, I'd rather have the first overall defensive player on my board, you know, him and Sertain. Um, compared to the fifth quarterback at nine. Um, so seeing that trade go down, I mean, it it hurt the uh, the theoretical GM in me because I thought I had it done. I thought Trey Lance was my guy. And just like that, you know, it got taken away. So while I'm glad to see um, Cortland give away, you know, sell the farm because I'm not a Pats fan, you know, I hope that it, 
is a, a Ricky Williams-esque trade, but I don't know. <laughs> um, something tells me Belichick knows more than me on that stuff. So uh, it was a good trade. And if you're the Falcons, like, like Matt was saying, you're extremely happy because you, what, what were you going to do with that pick? <laughs> you know, like right. you're in no man's land at four. So um, at least from a Falcons standpoint. So overall, well, good trade. And I guess what I was thinking with the Falcons, and this is the strategy that I think they should implore um, in the draft is trade back, hoard the picks, get as much as you can. Because again, you have Arthur Smith, first year head coach over there getting a complete revamp from what you had before um, with Dan Quinn, who obviously came from the Seahawks uh, defensive mind. Now you got someone who revitalized Ryan Tannehill's career. Can he do the same for Matt Ryan? So my whole thinking with that, um, what they should do, and again, what they should do and what they do do, (laughs) I said do do, but um are going to be two different things, obviously. And maybe I'm right on this. Maybe they do this, but I mean, why not trade down from four hoard the picks and you can just beef up your defense. You can beef up your O-line. And that's, that's essentially what I did. Cause I used those picks. Um, I ended up with three picks in the first two rounds. I actually traded down again uh, with Matt from 15. So I pretty much stripped the AFC East or at least half of it of, a ton of picks because I ended up trading again down from 15, just not seeing anyone I wanted to grab at that point. Um, and Matt traded up to grab Devonte Smith with the jets. And, uh, I ended up settling for 23 grabbed Caleb Farley. Um, then I ended up grabbing Wyatt Davis to help the interior of the line, uh, later in the draft. And, uh, then I grabbed, uh, Joseph Osai, um, from, from Texas to help address the pass rush issue in Atlanta. So, you know, with that one trade, it helped me turn it into three quality picks that the Falcons really do desperately need. So I was pretty happy with that. Um, and, uh, you know, going back to Danny's point here, so you miss out on your quarterback, but then you end up grabbing essentially a quarterback for the defense. I think Micah Parsons is going to be an, an absolute stud. Um, and I was honestly, so I took Rashawn Slater to help protect Sam Darnold at eight. I had the Panthers and I was so close. I was sitting there thinking so hard about taking Micah Parsons uh, just to replace for the simple fact of continuity. They lose Luke Keekley, who was the quarterback of their defense is going to the hall of fame. So I'm thinking, why not grab another quarterback of the defense? And you saw last year how heavily they went on defense in the draft, um, grabbing a couple of guys like Jeremy Chin, Derek Brown. Um, so I thought Michael Parsons could fill out that third layer and be that stalwart for him. But I ended up going with the sex, uh, not sexy pick and just protecting Sam Darnold. But uh, I heavily considered Parsons there. But I think uh, Broncos at nine taking Parsons. Um, not only is it realistic and I could see it happening. Um, I, I like the pick. I mean, if you can't get your guy and you settle for another year, give drew lock another chance, why not just beef up the defense? You already have offensive weapons there. So, uh, I did really like the Micah Parsons pick, although it was a bit of a surprise. Um, Corlin, what's your, what's your take on uh good old n- number nine with, uh, Micah Parsons. 
Well, I think you hit the head on the nail, man. Like, I mean, when you look at Michael Parsons, he is the quarterback of the defense. He's the guy who gets things moving, and he's the man who basically, when you're game planning as an offensive coordinator, you're the guy who, hey, he's got, you got to get a hat on that cat. We got to make sure we know where he's at. We got to identify him. We got to block him. He can come off the edge or rush the passer. He can stand in the middle. He can plug. He can play the money or the, uh, the money or the sand position. That's basically inside backers. And I mean, look, he's a guy who can really just terrorize your offense. He's a guy who the offensive coordinator is going to have to make sure he knows exactly where he's at at all times. And I think it's one of those moves, Mike. It's where Michael Parsons becomes one of those positional, positionless football players on defense. Kind of like how Isaiah Simmons was. I know we was talking about now Isaiah Simmons had a, a, a rough adjustment to his rookie year. And like I said, we spoke about that too. Coming from a system in college, it's, you know, you're not necessarily having a position. It's kind of like, hey, you're playing man free in the middle of the field. You do what you want. Now you go into the NFL where there's more schematics, there's, you know, more scheme fit, there's more uh, personnel packages, and there's more reasoning behind our defense. And he had struggles with that. But I think Michael Parsons, as far as the comparison between those two, Michael Parsons has been in a real defense. He's played, you know, numerous positions that had meaning to it. He's played a six technique. He's played inside the box. He's played inside backer. So the guy can basically play anything. Uh, he's kind of like a plug and play guy now. Uh, he's a physical freak. And that's what, you know, uh, you're looking for as far as uh, matchups concerned and stuff like that. He can cover a tight end. Cover a running back coming out of the backfield, and possibly cover guys like, you know, the Kyle Pitts and, and such things like that. So he's very talented, man. Like that's that's a chess piece on anybody's defense. One hundred percent, Matt. Anything you want to add to that? Uh, I remember when we were doing our, uh, you know, our discussions about the draft a couple of weeks ago. I said when I think about. Uh, Denver, I think about Al Wilson. I think about a nasty yeah. linebacker. And it's the, in my opinion, it's the perfect pick. If you can't get your, your guy at, uh, at the quarterback, I think exactly like uh, you guys are saying, dude's a stud. I think it's a great pick. I think it fills a need for sure. So I can't argue at all with it. It's a great pick. So, um, like I said, I think the first 10 were pretty much status quo aside from a couple of picks. Um, you know, I, I that's what's crazy about the draft. You know, you you see enough mocks, you hear enough talk, and you just kind of go based on the predictions of the experts. But, I mean, the top ten, everything about, I think, what we did with that may, makes a lot of sense. Um, now, one of the picks I was happy to see uh, going outside of the top ten, uh, Corlin, you took with the Giants – the guy I actually had my last mock and I think who I'm going to end up sticking with, with them doing with uh, number 11, that's addressing the interior part of that line um, and taking Elijah Vera Tucker from USC, who is the best guard um, in this draft. Uh, so you did that. You, again, we, this cliche is overplayed at this point, but it's true. Sexy isn't always the best bet. You know, you look at what the Colts did at number seven several years ago. They took the guy who's the youngest of 39 cousins, I might add, and Quentin Nelson. And he's he's a perennial all-pro. 
And when I say perennial, he hasn't not made the first team all pro and he's deserving of it. I think he's given up three sacks in his career. Um, and I think by, by the time it's all said and done, He's going to end up being a top five lineman, not just guard. I mean, a top five overall offensive lineman ever, period. So, um, Corlin, you you made the decision to take Elijah Vera Tucker. Uh, tell us what's what was happening there um, because you did have a couple of big playmakers on the board, uh, Jalen Waddell, Devontae Smith. Um, and, uh, I, I mean – there is some speculation about Giants going receiver. So you decided to go away from that. And going back to even the beginning of the, the, the draft recap, we spoke about, you know, the amount of wide receivers in this draft is just impeccable. And I knew going back to round two, I'll have one of those true slot guys that I can really go after. Uh, the Giants made a couple of splash moves and free agency signed a couple of wide receivers. So I knew they really needed uh, to figure out somebody who can, putting that slot and I knew I can find a slot receiver in the second round. But the most important thing is Mike, if Daniel Jones is going to be the quarterback in the future, he needs to be able to have time in the pocket and especially not have uh, any collapsing going on in the interior of the line, which happens to be one of the biggest issues they've been having. Uh, they were solidified at tackle. They will be okay there, but the interior of the line has been abysmal. Uh, and when you got a guy like Saquon Barkley, when your main runs are inside zone schemes, <laughs> and when you don't have interior offensive linemen, you know, moving a nose guard or moving the one or three tech, you're going to have some issues. And I think you're looking at a guy like that, uh, Barrett Tucker comes in, immediate impact starter. Uh, he's one of the strongest offensive linemen, period, in the draft class. And I think that's going to pay out dividends for Saquon Barkley and Daniel Jones, as soon as they continue to work on that inside zone scheme and that RPO little package they got going on, I think this could be uh, very dangerous uh, for the Giants offensive line. One of the things I was telling you the other day after we did the uh, mock, and um, I had told you this, and this was one of the most interesting stats I found on the Giants last year. Um, when I was doing my weekly power rankings, um, I believe it was for week six or seven, I had done one defining stat for each team. And my defining stat for the Giants was their adjusted line yards. Now, um, if you're listening to this, um, that is basically what your offensive line is giving you. That's an offensive line stat that determines how close to the line your running backs getting hit. And this was based in the run, sort of echoing what Cortland was saying here. Their adjusted line yardage for Saquon or for their their run blocking was 3.07. Now, just to put this in context of how terrible that is, it was dead last in the NFL by more than a yard, and it was the worst adjusted line yardage since 2008. The only line that was worse than that was the 2013 Baltimore Ravens who finished with um, I believe it was 3.01. So it was terrible. Cortland got me again. He, he sniped a guy that was on my radar um, for the chargers at 13 um, because the biggest unkept secret is that the chargers need a line help. I think the only team that might need better help on their interior line is probably the giants. Um, if you're Saquon, you're happy. If you're Daniel Jones, you're happy. 
if you're Gettleman, you're hoping that it's not Andrew Thomas like last year, at least kind of what you were saying off air, Mike, the first couple games, right? Um, which is also why, you know, I took J.C. Horn at, at 13 because the two top tackles and the top guard are off the board and you need O-line help. Well, don't draft purely out of need, right? Um, so Vera Tucker at 11, people will say that he's going higher than he, he should. I think a lot of people have him, you know, mid to late first, um, which is just shocking because of kind of, I guess, just to echo what you said, Mike, you know, you saw with Quentin Nelson that guards are not just the guys that get, you know, pushed off to the side anymore. Um, you can be dominating if you have the right guy in the interior line. I think the Giants got that with with Elijah Vera Tucker. Matt, what about you? What would you think? Did you think the uh, Cortland and the Giants should have uh, addressed the need at receiver? Do you think they uh, go unsexy with the O-line, and do you think that was the best play? So I think uh, at least – with what they did in the offseason with uh, grabbing Galladay and they got John Ross. I don't think the Giants receivers are necessarily terrible. I think it's actually probably a, at least a passable group because they still have Sterling Shepard too and uh, Darius Slayton. So I don't think wide receiver is necessarily a, a huge weakness. Uh, I think they didn't turn into a positive, but it's, it's getting better. But I think uh, addressing the offensive line is definitely going to help because Daniel Jones can't get it to the receivers if he has no time to throw. And uh, like Cortland was alluding to, it's going to help with the run game as well. It's going to give Barkley those uh, those lanes, because if we remember before he got hurt last year, that offensive line was dog shit. He couldn't run left, right. He couldn't run anywhere. Uh, take that from a guy who drafted him in fantasy. It was horrific. Me too. So I share your pain. <laughs> so I think, you know, grabbing an offensive line, it's not sexy like you said. You're not really going to have fans that are going to love the pick, but football Especially guys a guard. love the pick. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's not a tackle. You know, everybody likes those left tackles. They'll say last year was a great draft because all those uh, left tackles went very high. But dude, like you were saying with Quentin Nelson, if you can get a nasty guard, that's going to open up your offense. And you know, if you can get one outside the top ten, even it's fantastic value. So I, I think it's a good pick. Now, one of the picks I want to talk about in that uh, 11 to 20 range um, is uh, Danny with the Chargers. You took J.C. Horn at 13. Now, I don't think anyone's scoffing at the fact that it's J.C. Horn, but um, I gave you some shit when you made the pick, and I'm still giving you shit for it. So, um, Chargers' biggest need, obviously, is offensive line. No question about it. Um, Darisol was on the board. You had some tackles there. Um, obviously with Elijah Vera Tucker, I know you kind of answered this a little bit. You were eyeing him and he kind of got stolen from you, but you still had tackles on the board. So when you made that pick, of course, I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> so, um, I want to give you the floor and just sort of address that. What's, what's the, what's the thinking there? Yeah. So, um, I guess this kind of goes back to what we said, right? It's what you would do, not what you think they'll do. Um, for me, my mentality is, you know, if you have a chance to grab um, either the first or second best at their position compared to the third or fourth, um, 
why not? Because there's a good chance you can get the fifth or sixth best in the second round. Um, and that was kind of the strategy for that. Um, also, I'm a big fan of J.C. Horn. Um, Darisaw, I think he's going to be good, but a lot of people saw him more as like a right tackle in the league. Um, that's kind of, I mean, you look at the Chargers depth chart, that's really the only name you recognize on there is Brian Balaga at right tackle. So, um, while I know he's no spring chicken, I mean, it, I, I felt like it was fine. And also, um, I kind of felt like J.C. Horn, that that second cornerback, is like the one piece that defense is missing. From top to bottom, it is a stout defense. Um, Bosa, Murray, they drafted last year. Um, you know, you signed Chris Harris. Derwin James is coming back off of injury. Um, who's the, the kid? Nasir Adderley. Um, I think he was drafted last year, performed, you know, pretty, pretty well. Um, so if you can do that and then go and get a guy in that second round um, to help shore up your offensive line, that was my strategy with it. And one thing I will say is, uh, you know, of course, of course, the thing we always hear and say is, uh, oh, well, why didn't they make a trade? You did try. You did try, but no one, no one gave you the ring. So yeah, no one wanted to say yes to me. I don't know if I was being too cheap or what. I don't think I was because when I look at the little chart that tells you the draft value, I think the problem is, is both times I tried to trade with someone, it ended up being you. And I think just out of sheer spite, you will never agree to do a trade with me. That's meaningful. I know you and I traded later on in the draft, but it was from pick 32 to pick 29 like stop the press you know blockbuster um so yeah i mean the i blame you for the chargers offensive line woes is pretty much what it comes down to <laughs> well you know it was uh it was pretty much the equivalent of a uh, draft day yeah that deal is no longer valid but um no is anyone else um sort of agree with me about the whole jc horn pick like i it's not, it's not that I don't like J.C. Horn. It's just, well, dude, you go O-line. Does anyone feel as strongly about that as I do, or am I alone here? Uh, Corlin and Matt, what what do you guys think? Corlin, we'll start with you. Well, I understand what he's thinking. You know, if you have, you know, one of the top-rated players in a needed position on your board versus, you know, you look at your board and you see your guy that you wanted being taken, you got to go with, you know, going to make your team immediately better, regardless if it's on offense or defense. You just got to go for the best value of that position. And I think he did. I mean, J.C. Horn, uh, I'm shocked he's even there at 13. I was shocked that he didn't go to Atlanta possibly because I really thought that was going to end up happening. Um, but, I mean, look, like we talked about earlier, there's a there's very, very, very draft-heavy uh, offensive lineman to Specifically, getting second and third round uh, draft value grade. So, when you got a cornerback graded that high, and you know he's going to change the dimension of your defense, going to change the whole attitude of your defense. It's not like this guy is just a quote unquote solid number two corner. Mike, I really think he's end up being a number one day one. Uh, this guy, I don't know if y'all really paid attention to him this much this season, but as far as aggression, uh, he's the most aggressive and physical corner in this draft and it's not even close so 
I'll tell you what, when I was sitting there at 15 with Atlanta, um, I had no intention of trading, trading down again. We'll get to Matt on this. Um, I had no intention of trading down. And then you did take uh horn there, Danny. And I was like, fuck. Okay. Well, that was my plan. A, B, C, D, E. So once you took him, I was sitting there looking and I'm like, do I want to take Newsom? I'm like, it feels way too early to take someone like Greg Newsom. I mean, Greg Newsom, I think is going to be good, but I don't want to take him at 15. Well, I'm sitting I, there. I don't cut you off. Sorry. Oh, go ahead, Court. But if you look at the Chargers seasons of the whole last year, and, and if Danny paid attention, I don't know. Like, I know y'all drafted for the teams, but if you really look at the whole grand scheme of things for the Chargers last year, those guys were in every single game that they mm-hmm. lost. Uh, the reason why they lost was because, I mean, if you look at it, the second half, they were getting fucking torched in the secondary. Dude, uh, they – so there was an interesting stat about the Chargers. If their games ended, I think it was at the start of the fourth quarter, they would have won, I think it was 11 or 12. Well, dang, I thought that's that. that. And that's why I said it. I was like, dude, if you really go back and look and talk about the differences between them winning and losing games – it's the last two or three minutes of the game. It's the last two or three drives of the game where, you know, uh, there's miscommunication in the secondary, mainly because Derwin James is not there. Uh, and you just see where the continuity wasn't there. Uh, but now you look at it like this. You're getting Derwin James plus a J.C. Horn. I mean, let's look at it like this, Mike. On paper – Going back to 2019, on paper, the Chargers were a team that was forced to reckon with, especially defensively. Yes. They were the team that, you know, uh, I think they played the Ravens in that, yes. that, wild card, uh, that wild card round. And, dude, if you look at it, they had about seven safeties on the field because they really mm-hmm. couldn't stop anybody, uh, specifically the run. But now you're healthy. You got all these pieces together. You're missing a cornerback. You got them. That team is extremely dangerous if they stay healthy. Because a well, lot that's of people, what, that's what was interesting. That's what was interesting about the Chargers. So they basically opened the floodgates on Lamar Jackson a little bit, um, because they did, like you said. I mean, they were they were diming the Ravens the entire game. What they did essentially was said, "Okay, cool. You want to try to run with Jamar, uh, Lamar Jackson? Cool." Do that on our secondary. We're going to put all of our speed on the field and make you try to north and south us. And the Ravens, of course, didn't. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's definitely a talented, talented defense. Um, now, they were injury riddled last year. Derwin James, you lose him. I mean, mm-hmm. he's unbelievable, man. If he's Chris Harris healthy, only played nine games. Yeah. I mean, go back and look at some of the – just the way the season fell for them last year. Like, going back to what you said about the statistic, like if they would have – you know, finish a game in the fourth quarter, it'd be 11 and five team, you know, and, and it's not like they can't like, score. Justin Herbert's an right. absolute stud. Um, and, and, and the defense of what Danny did and uh, skipping the offensive lineman uh, in the first round, Justin Herbert did all of this on his own. Right. So, I He's mean, I'm not freak. trying to say like he doesn't need an offensive lineman right now, but if you got a guy like JC Horn who can change the, you know, the whole dynamics of your defense and take away a, a whole half of the field. Why not? I mean, versus going for a guy who you really don't feel comfortable in taking that 13 when you see a guy going, I mean, why not? There's 
Tevin Jenkins. There's a lot of guys that's going to fall later on. As, uh, my guy from North Dakota State, who's probably one of the most underrated offensive tackles in the uh, draft, who's going to be uh, a gem in the second or third round. So, man, it's got plenty of those guys, man. So, Danny, hats off to you, bro. You got your corner because there's not many J.C. corners. I mean, J.C. Horns as corners. Uh, I don't think you've really seen a J.C. corner since realistically it might sound crazy, but you know, he gives you uh, Darrell Revis vibes. He gives you uh, Jalen Ramsey vibes. So he kind of gives you a little bit of that mix uh, as far as his physicality and his, uh, his technique is concerned. So you got a winner right there. Matt, let's, uh, let's hear from you. I mean, without being, I think we've pretty much explained it all, but uh, you get the, the pretty much the run of the litter at this point and uh, going to get the what's left of the bowl, so to speak. So, uh, were you on board with the J.C. Horn pick? I, I definitely didn't hate the pick. Uh, I, I think you could have gone a lot of different ways, but J.C. Horn was certainly one of the ways you could have went. And like uh, Danny was saying, they have almost nobody in the secondary really besides uh, Derwin James coming back in Adelaide. I couldn't even name a corner on the depth chart. So if you're getting a position of need, and you're getting arguably 1A, 1B at the position, how can you really hate the pick, especially when it's a position of need and it's a guy who can be a stud day one? So I'm on board with it. So, all right, let's let's keep it at you, Matt, because you obviously made a splash at 15. Um, I was sitting with the pick at 15 with Atlanta when I texted y'all, anyone want to trade up? Knowing Devontae Smith was on the board, I dangled it out there knowing hopefully someone takes the bait and you did. So um, you were sitting at 23 with the Jets. Um, you ended up trading me um, the 23 pick um, and then the 66 overall pick, so early third, and then you gave me your 2022 third. So I got two threes and your number one. Uh, to grab Devontae Smith. So you trade it up. That's a pretty hefty price tag for a receiver, especially at 15. So, um, you know, overall, if you're the Jets, you already drafted Zach Wilson. What what was your thoughts when Devontae Smith's dangling in front of you at 15 as, as Jets GM? So seeing a guy who a lot of people, I think it's probably – the majority maybe think he's probably going to be a top 10 pick. So when I see him drop that far, knowing I have Zach Wilson and I know the jets signed Corey Davis, he's probably a pretty good number two, maybe, you know, we, he had one good year at Tennessee. It was a contract year. No one, he had to play hard. And he also had AJ Brown next to him. Who's taken, you know, a lot of the attention away. So I was thinking I needed a number one receiver for Zach Wilson if I'm going to spend that high of a capital on a quarterback, let me surround them with weapons. You know, I had a, I have a very good left tackle in Becton. And if I have him, Zach Wilson and Smith, I'm thinking I have a fantastic core to build on for the next, what, 10 years. So yeah, you could say it's a little steep to pay, but we had those extra picks, you know, unloading, uh, unloading some picks and go ahead and just, you know, get a guy who I think is going to be a baller. Well, I'll say this as a, if I was a Jets fan um, and that were to actually happen. So you get Zach Wilson, you get a gamer at quarterback to pair with an explosive receiver. I mean, if you're a fan, even if you go six and 10, 
that should be in theory exciting to watch. So if you're a Jets fan, you're blowing a load over that um, essentially. So I, I, I mean, it was a steep price, but I was like, all right, well, fuck dude. Like Zach Wilson and Devonte Smith, ain't nothing wrong with that. So um, I was, I was, I, I didn't hate it at all. So um, Danny, what's, uh, what's your take on the, uh, the trade back once again for the Falcons and the Jets trading up to grab Devontae Smith. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, if you were to tell me that the first Alabama player off the board was Patrick Sertain at, at 10, um, <laughs> I'd tell you to open up another. Um, but the Jets doing this, I think it would be brilliant. Um, now, this is a theoretical on top of a theoretical. So I don't know where the decimal point is on the percentage of this actually <laughs> having a shot at happening, but it would be perfect for the, the jets. Um, Mike, I thought your um, I thought actually that your strategy with the Falcons um, was kind of ideal um, in the sense of if you had drafted Newsom at, you know, 15, I think you got him where, 23? Um, I got Farley at 23. Farley at 23, yeah, um, I think is is solid. Um, but considering that, you know, Sertain and Horn were off the board, and I do think that they are A and B, and then there's a 100%. drop. 100%. Um, you know, I thought it was uh, a solid pick. I think, I think if we see a wide receiver out of the three – go um and it reminds me a lot of last year with you had uh judy you had um td lamb and the burner that wound up in oakland what's that henry rogues yeah so again you got two bamas and the field um i think maybe waddle's the one that slides i think smith probably comes off the board before this but um if this and Waddle, of course, that. just to clarify, Waddle went to 12 with Philly, which I took Waddle yeah. over Smith there. Yeah. Um, so I just think, you know, uh, this is something that just as a fan of both football and the draft and, and being this draft geek like you're – like we are, like you said earlier, um, I am praying that this happens just so we can sit there and say – we told you so, like basically Randy Quaid from Major League. <laughs> I knew it all, you know. Um, but no, if the Jets – and it doesn't have to be the Falcons. If the Jets can come up and get one of those top three receivers, um, middle of the pack, why not? So I yeah. thought it was a good trade. Um, so, uh, Corlin, do you have anything to add to that or can we uh, can we move on here? Uh, you can move on, man. Devontae Smith is who he is. Uh Anyone who gets him is obviously going to have a dynamic playmaker and a special teams uh, game changer. So, and I think that's, you know, exactly what the Jets need along amongst with a plethora of other things. But uh, that's a good start for them. You know, get your quarterback of the future, get your uh, uh, playmaker for the next uh, eight to 10 years here, hopefully with Devontae Smith. And, you know, hopefully – uh, they'll be to go back in uh, round two and uh, three and grab one of those uh, those running backs and uh, really solidify their offense a little bit and give them a real trio. So, well, that was the uh, other thing. We um, 
kind of diving deeper, uh, just quick mention here. I mean, there's still several running backs. I think we only had one running back go off the board in round two. Um, so Najee Harris, um, Travis Etienne, and uh, one of the, I can't remember which one off off the top. I'll go back and look. Uh, it was uh, one of the North Carolina guys. Huh? It was Javante. Javante. Okay, so um, so yeah, only three backs off the board in three uh, in the first two rounds. So there's definitely room to get that um, in round three. But um, I did want to talk about the next four. So now we're rounding out the the top twenty picks. Um, Danny. Uh, with the Raiders took uh, Jeremiah uh, Wusu Koromoa from Notre Dame. And I, when I tell you these four picks, I was heavily thinking about trading up with multiple teams. So when Danny was picking with the Raiders, I was sitting there looking at, uh, looking at who he took potentially trading up with the saints. But I'm like, I don't know that I want to give up the draft capital. Um, as I had the saints sitting at 28, I, you know, I'm a big fan of both Parsons and uh, Cormoa, um, as I think both will be longtime pros in the NFL and solid um, high-end level linebackers. Um, so that he goes at 17 to the Raiders. Then you have Travis Etienne go to the Dolphins, um, although there's still some questions about whether or not the Dolphins do go linebacker there. Um, Matt ended up taking – Etienne, so he he went with the status quo of what a lot of people like me and you especially have been saying about the Dolphins. Um, but then Cortland, you mentioned quarterbacks. You got your guy. You had you were picking for Washington, and I'm sitting there with the Bears at 20, and I'm like, do I trade up? Do I trade up? Do I trade up? And I ended up not doing it, not even making a single offer to because I'm like. I don't think Cortland's going Mac Jones. And then you fucking went Mac Jones. Um, so Washington gets Mac Jones, um, which is, of course, one of the potential landing spots for him. Um, that's being speculated. So you get Mac Jones at 19. Not a bad, not a bad shakeup, especially as he sort of free fell um, as no one jumped up to take him. So um, Cortland, you got Mac Jones with Washington. What's your take? What's the train of thought there? Well, the train of thought is Fisk Magic uh, gets a tutor, another young, uh, young upcoming guy. Uh, but see, the thing about Mac Jones is, Mike, uh, I'll be completely honest with you. I'm not quite sold on him all the way. Um, I think that a year underneath Fitzpatrick, a year of uh, true quarterback. Uh, a quarterback competition for him can really get the best out of him. I think Ron Rivera is the type of guy who's not going to put his quote unquote guy in a situation to where he'll have a, he have immediate failure. But I think with Mac Jones, he's in an ideal situation mainly because uh, we're to the point right now where I think some of these GMs are starting to get smarter about really throwing these rookie quarterbacks out there uh, with no type of tools, no coaching, uh, and no tutelage. So I think with Mac Jones and Fitzpatrick, I think that would be an excellent quarterback room. I think Mac Jones would go in there and not necessarily have the pressure to be the guy. Uh, Washington is developing a strong running back uh, room, uh, so to say. Uh, they're really efficient running the football. And I think with a, uh, 
a quarterback like Mac Jones, who knows how to take care of the football, knows how to minimize mistakes, can really take that team to another level. You've seen with, uh, you know, a guy like Alex Smith with minimal quarterbacking. Uh, I'm not going to say minimal quarterbacking skills, but, you know, he was very limited this year. Mike, yeah, one leg. And with one leg, he was uh, he was an extremely serviceable quarterback for them. He got into the playoffs, although they just won seven games. I think a guy like uh, Mac Jones, who can actually push the football down the field, take a little bit more chances. And uh, he's extremely accurate, Mike. I'll tell you that one thing about him. And um, he's an extremely smart football player. I just don't necessarily see him having the same talent pool uh, in Washington that he had in Alabama. So it kind of scares me a little bit. I think he does need another receiver or two to kind of help him, especially a tight end. Uh, hopefully at some point in the draft, they'll be able to draft, they'll be able to assess that need for him and hopefully get him some weapons for the next five to 10 years. He'll be the battle. But well, I'll say this. I, so I think the ideal situation for Mac Jones would be a Washington or a Chicago. And mm-hmm. the reason I say that is because a quarterback who doesn't have the talent of uh, – a Zach Wilson or a Trevor Lawrence, their best friend is always going to be a defense that doesn't give up much uh, in terms of the scoreboard. So I don't want to call Mac Jones a game manager. He's a rookie, so he probably will be early on. But He's now a quarterback. But when you have a guy who minimizes the turnovers and you have a defense, you play the field position battle. That's what the Saints did with Teddy Bridgewater. That's what we've seen be effective for many teams over the years, even in the offensive resurgence of the NFL, if you will. Um, But Washington has got an unbelievable defense across the board. And, of course, Chase Young has nothing to do with that. Um, (laughs) Well, this might be – this might sound a little far-fetched and and take it with a grain of salt – but Washington's situation is reminding me of when Belichick first got to New England, um, when he had a superb defense. Uh, a great front seven. Yeah. Uh, a quarterback who's going to take care of the football, who's going to do enough just to help you, not to scare you, and not wow you. But um, he has a ceiling that's unknown, I feel like, because Matt Jones has really just had a, a one year of starting um, with – probably one of the most talented trios of wide receivers that ever touched uh, the landscape of college football. So, I mean, he had a lot of weapons going in his favor and he had Najee Harris, obviously. Yeah. So I, and I, and I agree. I mean, it's, it's an ideal fit. And then if you look at Chicago, um, which again, I was thinking about trading up bears have a good defense, um, obviously. Um, So either, either of those squads, I think are an ideal fit because you don't have to make the plays you'll have to make in a Jacksonville in a team that doesn't have that elite defense. So um, that's the best way to groom those quarterbacks that you do have questions about period. Um, So I, him going to Washington there, I think would be a good fit if Washington ends up getting him in this draft. Um, I think you brought up a great point. Let him sit behind Fitzpatrick. Fitzpatrick obviously isn't going to the Hall of Fame, but Fitzpatrick knows how to be an NFL quarterback because he's been in the league for so fucking long. And it doesn't matter when he's a free agent, someone is going to sign him as his journeyman career has shown. So look at it. All the quarterbacks that's about to get drafted besides Trevor Lawrence, is have to sit. they're going to have to sit. 
Mm-hmm. Um, there, there's not one quarterback besides Trevor Lawrence who we know. I mean, and Zach Wilson who's going into an immediate starting position. So right, those guys would be in, in, in ideal situations to learn and, and to mature and to groom those skills. Anything that uh, you guys want to add, Matt or Danny? Um, yeah, Chase Young wasn't a draft bust. <laughs> you know I'm going to take the shots as I can. Um, he did deserve Rookie of the Year, as I've already said. But, uh, you know, still not number two worthy. He's a good player. I actually love his energy. I, I've said this before. I hate that I fucking like him. I hate that he's such a goddamn team player because it would make it so much easier to hate him if he wasn't. Because I, I want to be right about that. I feel about Mac Jones the same way you felt about Chase Young. Um, when you said game changer, my head just started nodding up and down. Um, that being said, you know, the short and sweet of it, and it would make a ton of sense for Washington. Um, because you do have a roster that, hey, you know, you only need to throw the ball maybe 18 to 22 times a game and you're in it. So not a bad pick, not the pick I'd take. He deserves to be in the second round. Mac Jones, go, <laughs> go just sit on the pine. I'm done with you. Yeah, no, All right, I'll Matt, what's your, what's your take? Yeah, I'll just add in, uh, I think it's a really good landing spot. I think it's realistic. And uh, Chicago, like you were saying, would have also been a very good spot for him to land. They have a good defense. He could probably uh, reluctantly sit behind Andy Dalton for a little bit if he had to. But, you know, Washington's a good spot. Uh, I I don't think Taylor Heineke is the guy, anybody that believes in him. <laughs> so uh, so I, I'll say, you know, it's a good spot. I, I like the pick. Well, there's a reason they uh, signed uh, Fitzmagic. So, yeah, exactly. Um, but uh, wrapping up the first round here, um, I mean, I think everything went pretty much status quo from there. Um, and again, anyone can read the results of this as I posted it. Um, but one of the things I do want to touch on, um, I had Tampa Bay at 32. Um, and one of the things is that, is known about Tampa at this point. They're returning all 22 starters on offense and defense. They're not missing a single piece of that championship team. And I ended up trading up uh, with Green Bay because Rashad Bateman was still on the board. The one thing that I think Tampa Bay does this year, I don't know that they trade up. I could see them doing it. But the one thing that regardless of what happens they're going to get a guy who can make an immediate impact. They're not building for the future. They're building to win again. They're going all in, putting their chips on Tom Brady as they should. They already fucking saw it pay off. So um, I ended up trading up because at that point, I mean, Rashad Bateman could go in the top 15. It's possible. It's plausible. Um, and he's sitting there and I'm like, man, fuck, Green Bay's on the board. Let me see what I could cook up. And it was funny because uh, I text Danny and then you sent to the group as we're drafting. You literally were starting to type out his name that you were taking him. Um, so I ended up trading up for a shot Bateman with Tampa Bay. And I think that was really the last sort of not really shocker move of the first round, but just kind of big move um, because they have yet to sign uh, re-sign Antonio Brown. And uh, I decided, you know what, fuck this. It's one of the last big playmakers on the board. 
I'm doing it because if I'm Tampa Bay, I'm just going all in trying to win as many championships and milk the clock that Brady has left. Um, so that's what I did there. And I took Bateman. Um, and when I made that deal and I'm like, fuck yes, because it's no secret. Not only was I GM for Tampa Bay in this mock draft, I want Tampa Bay to win the fucking Super Bowl again because well, Tom Brady over everything, but, um, What's uh what's our take on the uh the final trade of the first round? Um, Matt, I'll let you take this one. It definitely gives them another weapon to replace Antonio Brown with. So like exactly like you were saying, you know, Tom Brady's got that, I'd say probably two or three year window at maximum, uh, where where he's gonna be a quarterback that can win a Super Bowl for you. So if you're just gonna say, hey, we'll give up a couple of picks, move up, get a guy who we know can, you know, step in in day one, where he's not even asked to be the guy or the second guy, or maybe even the third guy. But just to know that they can tout someone out there who's a first round talent who's gonna be snagging balls from Tom Brady. It's like how do you stop that offense? Danny, what you got? Yeah, so with me at Green Bay, I was kind of where you were and at uh, 15 with the Falcons. Had a lot of players I liked, none of them that I loved. Um, you know, I know I got to give some weapons around Aaron Rodgers or otherwise he may not be in Green Bay by the time I get back from making the pick. That poor fucking um, guy. Uh, well, I would have taken Jordan Love, but he was already off the board. Um, <laughs> You know, uh, so I jump back four spots, pick up, you know, um, a little bit of a return. And, and I you still get a third get a out of it. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I still get a guy that I probably could have gotten at 29. So for me, it just made too much sense. Court, let's hear it. Nope, you're on mute, bro. Teachers are still learning the technology of Zoom. Yeah, I don't know. We don't even we're not even allowed to use Zoom without oh. <laughs> but uh anyway, man, like Rashad Bateman is an instant playmaker. He's a guy that you can really line up in the slot, the outside, but mainly the slot position. Uh he's a catch and go guy, he's a run after the catch guy, and he's you know, something that Tom Brady not necessarily had in his career. So I really think this whole pick with you know with Whatever uh, Tampa Bay goes with, it's going to be Tom Brady making that call to the GM, like, hey, I want this guy. I really think it's like that with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and they gave him the keys to the organization. Uh, he's got a two- or three-year window, and like I said, he's going to pick a guy like a receiver. Or if they didn't sign playoff Lenny, I'd say they'll probably go running back, possibly NTN or somebody like that at that position. Similar with the Kansas City Chiefs did last year. So well, that was the other thing. I was thinking about trading up there uh into the early or uh early twenties to with Tampa to try to grab um Najee Harris. So um, but yeah, it's uh Tampa's gonna be interesting. Now another pick I I I will say, because I was thinking about it, um, had Rashad Bateman not been there, um I was thinking about trading up with Tampa. Um, and grabbing Matt's pick at 30, which I think was a great pick. And this is one thing I want to touch on the last part of the first round. I want to touch on, I was thinking about Asante Samuel had, um, Bateman not been there. Bateman was, so that's off the table, but I will say Matt taking Asante Samuel at 30 to pair along with Tredavious white. 
holy fucking shit. I blew a load at that pick because I am such a mark for um, Tredavious White. I think he's the best corner in the NFL, hands down. Uh, a couple of years ago, Stephon Gilmore, of course, still – and he still, you know, has the has the case. But people are fretting about um, um, Stephon Gilmore, and I'm just sitting there like, why is Tredavious White not getting the same fucking love? Because, well, he gets burned less often. He gives up less touchdowns. Um, but – you found a magical duo with Asante Samuel and Tredavious White. Not that the Bills are lacking weapons, but that's fucking beyond brilliant. I thought about a running back at this juncture, uh, but I feel like there's a lot of value with the running back position around two and three. So the Bills had the luxury of not necessarily having a ton of holes on their team. So it's kind of just, the best player I thought was available. And that just so happened to be Asante Samuel. If I can go ahead and pair him with Tredavious White, like you were saying, who's probably at worst number three corner, number two corner in the NFL right now. So if I can go ahead and pair him with, uh, you know, another first round cornerback and just have this stud duo. Uh, I think they have Levi Wallace at corner as well. He's, he's okay. I wouldn't say he's bad, but if I can get, you know, someone else to pair and have maybe two shutdown corners, to just help that team a little bit more. He's got the NFL pedigree, obviously, with his dad being Asante Samuel, who we're all the age to remember how good he was in his prime. So I thought it was a really good pick. It, you know, it doesn't necessarily fill a need, but it just puts icing on the cake, I guess. Well, the thing is with that pick too, and then I'll turn it over to uh, Cortland here, but with uh, getting him to pair along, you now have a duo obviously of great corners but the bills also play from ahead a lot so when you're playing with a two or three score lead obviously you kind of get laxed a little bit and the weaker parts of your secondary get exposed a little bit because you're not playing with that same chip on your shoulder you know you have a lead so you cushion it and with that now you can sort of minimize that and it's i, I feel like when you have a tandem corner like that, it gets tougher to play from behind. I mean, you have two guys, so it's not like you can, you know, if you're playing just hypothetically playing a team like Atlanta who has a Julio and a Calvin Ridley, you can't hone in on one guy on the weaker corner because, well, that weaker corner doesn't exist anymore. So um, I think that's a, that's a huge thing for uh, a huge advantage for the Bills because again, Josh Allen's a fucking stud, and that team is so often playing playing ahead. Uh, but Cortland, I'll turn it over to you. Well, anytime you can get a corner uh, who's probably one of the best press man <clears throat> press man technicians there's been in uh, the last five or 10 years in college football. I think that's uh, a steal. And at this point, Mike, any anything with the Bills picking is considered a luxury pick to me. Uh, I'll tell you why. Um, there's reasons why there was an AFC championship. Um, there's reasons why that, that roster has been gluing together, been doing an excellent job of drafting. And if you can get somebody like uh, Nasante Samuel to pair along with your baby is white, to play that press man technique, to, you know, give Sean McDermott what he really wants and that's to Cindy House because you know going back to the days where he was with Carolina 
uh, their blitzing packages, uh, their play with uh, Luke Keekley and my man uh, Thomas Davis was just uh, impeccable. And that was all under the tutelage of Sean McDermott. I think people kind of forgot about that. So you kind of get back to some of those things that he had uh, when he was in Carolina. Uh, but I don't really think he had a, a, a duo like an Asami Samuel, Samuel Jr. and a, a Tredavious White ever in Carolina. So I think this is something new. I think this kind of actually gives him uh, a couple of different uh, schematic changes or schematic add-ons that he likes to do going back to his Carolina days. So this is an excellent pick. Well, it also completes their secondary oh, um, because they already have great safety play. So, um, Danny, what's, uh, what's your take on this one? I, I liked it because for the Bills, I had them either looking at corner or edge, and those just happened to be two pretty popular positions to draft in round one. Um, so being well, at the, the money maker positions, yeah. So being at the tail end of round one, you know that you're not necessarily getting, um, you know, player one or two at the position. I already explained how I think it with that. What I like about Samuel is he's all over draft boards. So I've seen him go like mid first round. I've seen him go in some mock drafts, like towards the end of round two. Um, in fact, you know, one of the simulators I use has, has him ranked as the 52nd best player in the draft. I don't see how I will politely disagree. Um, but if you get to put him uh, up in that secondary on that defense and also um, feed off that, that crowd. Right. Um, plus I just think it'd be cool for him and Trey white to have that debate year round, which one truly is DBU because lately it's been LSU, but let's not forget Florida States put out some pretty good defensive backs. Right. Um, so excited to see it. And I'm glad they went corner. I'm glad um, I think Matt had the pick that he went corner and not edge um, because I felt like it was kind of watered down at that point. So overall, um, now that we've sort of wrapped up the first round, um, who was each y'all's big winner of the first round as far as a uh, team goes? Um, let's kick it off with uh, Matt here. And you can say yourself if you're arrogant enough. <laughs> can I say the Jets? <laughs> you can say the Jets well, if you I mean, feel that. I mean, a big thing with the Jets is you need to sell tickets. So I think they got two really big playmakers to help sell tickets and get people excited for the you know the football season. Because a lot of times when you talk about the Jets, everybody just says they suck. We're not going to be good. They're disappointed because you know that's just for the most part what we've grown up with with the Jets. So I think uh, they got some really great. You know, two fantastic playmakers that hopefully they can build their offense around and they have for the next 10 years. And I think when you can come away with two players like that, who you can argue possibly 1A, 1B at their positions, you know, I, I think you got to be super happy about that. Danny, big winner round one. Um, If I'm just going round one, uh, my big winner, I actually think is going to be um Carolina and let me tell you why they basically got two first round picks this year um you got Sam Darnold for I thought you know um 
nothing much. I can't remember that trade offhand, what they gave up. It wasn't shit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it certainly wasn't Matt Stafford, right? Um, so you, your top two positions going into this draft were quarterback and offensive tackle, and by pick eight, you have both. So I kind of thought that they won round one with only having one pick, but filling the roster, using the draft capital to get someone like Darnold, who I think if Darnold was in this draft, I think he's the second best one in this draft, I you know? It's just unfortunate that, you know, he was up there in, you know, in New York with uh, what's his name? I can't even think of the coach. He just was bugged out. Adam Gase. Adam Gase. Yeah. (laughs) Gase is on the case and and ruined him. So I'd like to see what he gets with uh, Rule and and Brady for sure. All right, Court. Round one. Big winner. I'm going to go with the Dolphins, Mike. I I didn't even want to say the Dolphins, but. Just going back and look at it, you can get a guy like Kyle Pitts who can finally be a, a reliable target, you know, occupying the middle of the field for a young a young uh, two-year quarterback, second-year quarterback, excuse me, two. And then you go back and grab Trevor Antian. Uh, I think that's a huge uh, pickup for them. Reasons why I think Miami never necessarily had a bell call back uh, – a very long time. If you go back and look for the couple of last years, I, they've been going down to, you know, week 13 and 14 practice squad players from uh, New England that they can pick up or Jesse can pick up. It never really was a, a solidified guy. So now they finally get the guy in the Trevor Antian. Uh, and I think the big thing about Kyle Pitts is, Mike, when you got a guy like Devontae Parker, a guy like Kyle Pitts, now you have two very, very, very big targets for Tua uh, and to help him out because, you know, he struggles uh, with his reads, he struggles with his accuracy, and I think some of those guys can help him win 50-50 balls. Um, not necessarily saying I want him to see, uh, throw 50-50 balls all the time, but I think now it just makes him a little bit better, a little bit more comfortable when you see Kyle Pitts uh, running a couple of drag and shallow routes across the middle. So good for him. Uh, good that he gets a guy like uh, Ntn who can turn around and hand a ball off to and, and really start to find a, a true identity to their offense because going back to Miami, they never necessarily had a true identity. Uh, going back between Fitzpatrick and Tua, that's completely two different quarterbacks. Uh, so now uh, – you go ahead and you grab two offensive weapons, you can kind of go back to the drawing board this offseason and really go back to what's comfortable for those guys and uh, figure out where you want to go from here. So my big winner for round one is also the Dolphins. Um, so it looks like Matt's in the consensus for uh, winning round one, either with the Jets or the Dolphins. But, uh, no, the big reason I say the Dolphins yeah, – um, the big reason I say the Dolphins sort of re, uh, reiterating a lot of what Cortland was saying here. So Tua obviously struggled rookie year. He, he wasn't bad, but he wasn't good. He wasn't he wasn't necessarily helping them win games, but he wasn't losing games for him. Um, and what you did in round one was you gave him the two possible best friends for a quarterback who's still figuring it out. You gave him a tight end to eat the middle of a field. And then you gave him a back who's a great dump off option. So you can play captain dink and dunk while having a great defense already in Miami. So 
Um, I think that's a big win. I mean, you didn't outsmart yourself. You go Kyle Pitts and you go Travis Etienne. That's huge. Um, so my next question uh, for the round one selections. Um, who, I guess, who played it the smartest? You know, what what team did the best possible strategy um, for round one? And uh, Cortland, we'll send it back to you. I don't do it myself, Mike. Honestly, I think the Giants. Um, I think this year they finally did make a bonehead pick. Um, I know a lot of people are still pissed off with the whole Daniel Jones situation and going back to our guy, Mr. Thomas, last year, not necessarily panning out as well. But I think this is really the safest pick, not the sexiest pick, but I really think it's the safest pick at that spot, and I think that gives them really the best value. Uh, they're solidifying the interior in line. They're giving Saquon some running space. They're letting uh, Daniel Jones in a pocket for maybe a second and a half, a little bit longer. So I think it's a win-win situation for them, and it's the safest situation for them. Danny, go to you. Yeah, so, I mean, the Jags, obviously, because of Trevor Lawrence, and you get Morig. Um, but I'm not going to say them because that's what – any football fan would do. You don't have to be a Jags fan. Mike, you don't have to meet me for this. Like you, you it do wasn't that. chess. So, it was, yeah. it was checkers and doing what you're supposed to do. It was throwing. Yeah, exactly. Um, for me, my big winners, if the draft played out the way we mocked, um, are the Niners getting Justin Fields, not overthinking it, getting Mac Jones. Um, I think Fields is, is ahead of them. I'll die on that Hill. Um, you know, and if you are going to make a, a trade to jump up that much and give up quite a bit, um, make sure it's for a guy that's probably not getting picked after pick four, right? Mac Jones is getting picked after pick four, even in our mock. He picked 14. He's still available. So um, I would say the Niners because they actually drafted a guy that um, I think Cortland was saying it earlier. If he can sit a year behind someone like Jimmy G, why not? You know, you have that luxury. Um, and the Niners are not a bad team. They're picking three um, due to a trade, and they they had – they were injured they beyond were, belief last yeah. year. They're still going to yeah. be in the running for one of the best teams in the NFC. So, so that's my answer because you do get a quarterback for the next eight to ten years if you play it smart um, and, and draft Justin Fields. Matt, what's uh... – what about you? Who do you think uh, had the smartest and employed the best strategy in round one? I'm going to go with the Cincinnati Bengals. Now, I know picking at five, I know how tempting it probably will be for them to either go uh, Joe Burrow's best friend in Jamar Chase or go Kyle Pitts. They have to probably be salivating over how talented those two guys are, but I think you have to also look at the gigantic scar on Joe Burrow's freaking knee and say that we need to protect this guy. And if we invested on number one overall pick in him and we think he's our guy for the next 10, 15 years, then you have to protect him. I mean, uh, they have uh, Jonah Williams, who you can probably slide to right tackle. And then you have your bookend tackle for the next 15 years. You know, if, if you can get a Joe Thomas-esque player, just go ahead, sign the card. Your fan base might not go crazy over it, but, you know, you, you got your guy and he's going to pay dividends day one. So for me, I'm going to, I'm not going to say the Atlanta Falcons, even though, well, I did 
Let's just count these up really quick. Let's count. I thought about them too. <laughs> well, let's count the number of picks I came away with because of my amazing strategy. Um, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. I got eight picks out of round one with the Atlanta Falcons. Thanks to that number four, but I won't say them. I will. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and go with the Baltimore Ravens. So while we were drafting, the trade, an actual trade happened with uh, with the Baltimore Ravens where Cortland ended up getting two first-round picks. Um, so with, uh, with 27 overall, he goes uh, Terrace Marshall uh, from LSU, getting a big receiver for Lamar Jackson, giving him another person to play on the other side of Hollywood Brown. Um, and then you go Alex Leatherwood to replace that tackle position. So um, it's a case of being late in the first round and not not outsmarting yourself, going strictly for need. So I'll, I'll actually go with the Baltimore Ravens here. Um, it's not going to jump off at the charts at you, but it is the right call. You get a receiver, you get a tackle, call it a fucking day. Um, now... Uh, last question for the first round before we move on here. Biggest boneheaded move of the first round, even though we, we've been pumping sunshine and rainbows up each other's asses this whole podcast. So let, let's start digging some knives in here. Um, Corlin, I'll let you take first stab. What was the, what was the worst of the first round? The worst of the first round. Let me go ahead and think about this because I had a couple of head scratches and honestly, maybe one of them was me, but I, I kind of uh, thought about it. I was like, yeah, you know what? I think I'll be all right here. But maybe the Saints, I was kind of confused by that one. I was hoping that we would possibly go corner. When I saw Asante Samuel, I was like, holy fuck, we need somebody. Uh, but I mean, at the same time, we need somebody who can plug the middle up because I saw Alex Anzalone walk all over his fucking back. I, I'm pretty sure that uh, Ryan Jensen has his fucking autograph from last year's playoff game. <laughs> so I'm kind of overwatching him get his ass bullied. So, I mean, at the end of the day, Mike, I really wanted a corner. Like, I, I think me and you even had uh, premature talks about hopefully the Saints go corner here or, you know. But... I don't know too much about him. I hope he's a stud. Um, it's one of those guys where I just don't know. Uh, I hope it's not a Stephon Anthony type pick to where he starts one year and just fucking falls off. So uh, that kind of scares me. But I just know that Asante Samuels Jr. was he's, – he's definitely going to be a 10- to 12-year veteran in this league and, and, and probably be one of the better halves of the corner. So I just thought him and Marshawn Lattimore would have been – a formidable duo and I was just hoping to see something like that really. So allow me to defend myself here. So right. um Asante Samuel, obviously if the Saints pick him, I would not be mad. But my thinking is you still have uh you still have CJ at corner. Now obviously and I told you this the second it happened, I really fucking hate the fact they lost Janoris Jenkins. I do. But really I hate it. But see um, that's why I think that they're gonna keep that CJ into that that nickel slot position and go get a corner at some point because that's where he plays his best. Like, yeah, you know, 
he's not a like to me he can play corner but he's not a true corner like he's a guy who needs to be around the football he needs to be talking to shit he's a box player he's a mm-hmm. guy who can line up against your tight end just because he's nasty enough to get in your face talking shit and be physical so yeah so but the big reason i go zavin collins sideline to sideline i think he's a perfect complement to demario davis because I think he does all the things Demario Davis does well. He's a good open field tackler, good sideline to sideline, cover tight ends, can get out there and get the running backs. And it gives them another solid tackler to plug that middle. I, I When I tell you I'm sold on Zayvon Collins, if the Saints grab him, I am going to lose my shit. I think that's... I think that's the the best pick they can make if he's there. So um, that that's a big reason for me. Um, but uh, Danny, biggest uh, biggest head scratcher of round one. Yeah. So I don't know that there's a head scratcher. It's more just like um, questioning. And we what's this is what I like about the draft. You won't know for about three or four years. Right. Um, I love I love the Patriots moving up to get Trey Lance. Um, what I don't love is how much they gave up to get there. So that was kind of a head scratcher. Um, but they had again, like I said, I think they had to jump eleven picks and into the top five. So you know it's not going to be cheap. Um, but that was one. And then uh, the the other one. Um, and really, I guess it's just a player preference in, from where I'm standing. Um, Ravens with, was it pick 23 or whatever it was, went Terrace Marshall. I had Rashad Bateman rated higher. Um, and I think that they've swung and missed on receivers so much that, you know, go with the more sure thing. But again, that's not a knock on Marshall. I think Marshall's, you know, late one, early two type of uh, receiver. But that's it. And then I guess to kind of dog my own pick, um, I hated having that Packers pick. They're in, they're in draft purgatory. Like there's just no one there that's really appealing to them at that pick. So I guess that's, that's kind of where it is. They went, you know, Cosme. They could have went Bateman, I guess. But Thanks, Danny, for shitting on 10% of the first round. Um, I do what I can. <laughs> just allow me to defend myself. Oh, absolutely. I was going to say, Corlin, defend yourself. Defend myself. I, I, I really like Rashad Bateman. I, I love his spectacular uh, catch attribute. I love his slot capabilities. I love the run after catch. I love the jet sweep capabilities. But I really still feel like if you pick him, you're picking another version of Hollywood Brown. He's probably better than Hollywood Brown. But I just felt like that was two players that kind of were the same in the mode. So... I feel like Terrence Marshall, going back to even watching a little bit of his tape, uh, he made a lot of work in the 15 to 18-yard range, and even from the 18 to 25-yard range, just making some plays down there, catching the deep digs, doing some things that Lamar Jackson really needs in his offense. He's got a guy who can stretch the field and and Hollywood Brown. He's got Mark Andrews who can kind of roam roam around and uh, take care of that shallow and that, that drag concept. So now he finally has a true outside receiver who's a big body. And Rashad Bateman's not small at all. Don't, don't get me wrong on that. But I really think Terrence Marshall. He's not looked at as a big body receiver. Right. He's not. But I feel like that's like Terrence Marshall 
fits that quote unquote uh, mold of what the Ravens need as far as a big play, uh, big body receiver that they need on the outside to kind of win those 50 50 balls for Lamar at some point. But 100% I mean, what I was thinking. 100% what I was thinking when you did that. So um, I, I question, like, I mean, look, if, if it wasn't the Ravens picking at that at that slot and if it was somebody like Green Bay and they picked, you know, a Terrence Marshall over a Rashad Bateman, then I have a head scratch move right there. But since it's the Ravens, they already have that type of receiver with uh, Hollywood Brown and uh, even Willie Sneed. I just felt like that's, you know, that's too many of the same guys. We need a big body out there and he doesn't have that. And for a guy like Lamar Jackson, you know, who lives his life on the scramble, he needs a guy who's doing the 50-50 balls. And I think uh, Marshall is that guy. So that was just me. Matt, uh, let's turn it over to you. So biggest uh, biggest head scratch around one. So I don't really, at least in my opinion, don't think there is any really uh, big head scratchers. The one thing I'll critique is, uh, I guess, the Eagles pick with Jalen Waddle. Only because I like Devontae Smith more than, than Waddle, I, I would have probably went him, uh, especially since they went uh, – what the heck was the guy's name out of TC, uh, TCU last Jalen Rager. Jalen Rager. Rager, yeah. He, he's, a, he's supposed to be a burner, so you, you put two burners together. Uh, so I, I, I guess that's the only thing I could really critique. And it's not that I don't like Jalen Waddle. Just I probably like Smith more, and I probably thought he would have fit in the system a little bit better. But you know, I won't give you too many lumps for it. All right. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I I get it, but at at the same time too, I think uh, Jalen Waddle and Devontae Smith are kind of not to say one and the same, but similar. I mean, they're not your six four receiver, so it's like. Damned if you do, damned if you don't go with either one. Now, I think uh, Jalen Waddle's got a little bit uh, more of a possession vibe to him than I would say Devontae Smith does. Devontae Smith's more of a chess piece, and I feel like Jalen Rager's already that for Philly. So um, that was kind of my thinking there. But um, for me, I think the the biggest – question mark I guess for round one um I don't know I honestly I I I'll actually turn it back over to you Matt because uh the picking uh um Davis from Kentucky at 26 and again this is probably just me thinking that Zayvon Collins is just much better of a linebacker um I was I was a little I was a little shocked there because I feel like Davis probably would have been my third or fourth option at Cleveland there. Um, one of the big misses I think there is Christian Barmore, um, who ended up going first pick of the second round to the Jags. Um, shut up, Danny. No one cares. Um, <laughs> but uh, so so what? I guess why Davis there? A lot of speed. I like the speed he shows. He can get sideline to sideline tackling machine, which is something that Cleveland does not really have a lot of speed at linebacker right now. So I feel like they just needed somebody that can kind of fly all over. Doesn't kind of reminds me of a a Devin White-esque where he can just get up and down the field and kind of just be a banshee. Whoa, whoa. (laughs) 
Pump the brakes a little bit. I'm not saying he's in the same tier, but his playing <laughs> style, because well, Devin White was a, a linebacker, so he's got that speed and agility. I think Davis shows a lot of that same uh, skill set. And, and like you said, it really just comes down to preference, and we're just uh, – it's nickel and nickels and dimes at this point. But uh, Barmore I was probably going to be my pick if it wasn't Davis, but I feel like the, the line is kind of – Maybe not defensive line uh, as far as tackle, but I feel like that's more of a strength. And just being a Browns fan, seeing how much the linebackers got attacked last year, I just wanted to make sure they shored that up. Now, um, let's just talk about round two vaguely here um, as we're coming to a close. But uh, who's someone that fell to round two that you were surprisingly shocked by? Danny, I already know your answer is Barmore. So, just go ahead and talk. I'll give you a five minutes to jizz all over the podcast about how excited you are about Barmore going to the Jags. No, I mean, obviously, yeah. Um, that's that's uh, amazing that if he were to fall there, that's fantastic. Uh, what's great is the Jags in recent history have had some luck with guys being in the second round that should have been early on in the first you know, um, Miles Jack, Juwan yeah, Taylor. Kind of first one I thought of was Miles Jack. Yeah. Um, you know, I uh, I also kind of like, you know, being a Jags fan, Friermuth falling to us at 45. Um, everyone knows Kyle Pitts is the top tight end, and it's nowhere close. Um, but Friermuth is probably the best – let's call it traditional tight end in the draft. Um, and his positions coach just happens to coach the Jags now, uh, coach with the Jags now. Um, so I like that, you know, uh, what I liked about round two is you got to see a lot of the strategies um, really play out on why your picks in round one were that, you know, the chargers are a good example of that. You know, we talked at, you know, uh, you grabbed Jalen Mayfield with your second one? I believe so, yeah. Yep. So um, so it, it was cool to see it play out and, and kind of just echo what I said in the beginning. It's such a deep draft. You're getting first-round caliber players um, in the 50s, you know, yeah. 50 to, you know, 62. So um, I guess that's my my answer. I'll keep it. Matt, what uh, what about you? What's, uh, who fell out of the first round that you were a little surprised by? So I'd probably say it's a tie between Tevin Jenkins and Kadarius Toney. Uh, Jenkins, just because we saw the run on uh, offensive linemen, and I feel like, you know, left and right tackles are kind of hot commodities right now. So it really wouldn't surprise me to see him sneak maybe into Indianapolis. If they don't go linebacker like Danny had, I could definitely see him going there, possibly taking uh, – their left tackle spot or something like that. And then Tony, uh, and it just goes into how deep this receiver class is this year. It's 10, 15, 20 deep to where he could have gone at the end of the first round too. It's just your preference on receiver. He's more of a, a satellite guy that you can kind of put in space and he's just going to torture defense. So a little surprising that he didn't go uh, somewhere in the first round either, but, you know, great values in the second round. Orland, let's hear it. Uh, surprises out of the first round. Oh, the surprise out of the first round. I, I mean, I, I didn't think he was going to be a first-round pick, but I thought he was going to be a very early second was uh, my man Javante Williams. Uh, Matt picked him up. Bill is a very uh, 
very close to the uh, last pick of the second round. 61. Yeah, that's, that's that's a lot of value for a guy like that. He's a complete game-changer. And for the Bills, uh, he's going to be a stable running back. And he's going to be able to carry, you know, 15 or 20 carries week in and week out. And I think that's going to be, you know, another dimension of the the Buffalo Bills that, you know, we haven't seen yet. So and pairing him with Josh Allen, who's getting more and more confident with Stephon Diggs and those guys, that's just going to be a more potent offense in the AFC. So, I mean, kudos to him. Uh, I know Matt elaborated on Tevin Jenkins. Uh, I was really happy to get him with the Lions there. Uh, the Lions, I, I felt like they had a great draft day getting Jamar Chase and Tevin Jenkins. Uh, kind of trying to rebuild that trust with Jared Goff, I guess. You get a guy who can protect you. You get a guy who can throw the football too. So uh, just to kind of, you know, refresh his career and hopefully rejuvenate and get a little Ryan Tannehill-ish uh, to his career so maybe he can get you know another five to six year uh, successful run so I think hopefully that's a career rejuvenating move for him and hopefully this draft gives him a little bit more juice as well so uh for me I think the the biggest fall was Creed Humphrey um I ended up getting him at uh late late second so 55 um first center off the board um, I was pretty surprised about that. Not only did he fall out of the first round, he fell late into the second. I was sitting there just chomping at the bit, knowing that center was a big position of need for the Steelers. Um, I ended up getting him at 55. I don't think he falls that far in, um, come draft day. Um, so that was pretty surprising to me. Um, but uh, overall, um, the one thing I did want to touch on in the second round, only one quarterback taken. Um which is interesting. And that was of course me trading up with Chicago to grab Davis mills, um, which I'm a big fan of Davis mills out of Stanford. Um, yeah, I think if you're getting him on day two, you're pretty happy about it. Honestly, what as a saints fan would love to see the saints grab him. Um, but uh, traded up with the bears uh, gave up um, swapped the second round picks gave up a seventh and then a fourth the following year with the Giants to grab Davis Mills. That was a pick I was pretty happy about. After barely missing out on uh, Mac Jones in round one, I'm like, fuck, if I'm the Bears, I want to get a quarterback who can potentially be the the heir to Andy Dalton. Um, there, Let's laugh about this in a second, but QB won. Um, so... Now, uh, I, I, I want to get y'all's pulse on this. Um, so very briefly, and then uh, we'll wrap up shortly here. Did I give up too much with uh, a seventh and a, f- um, and a pick uh, fourth of next year to get Davis Mills? And uh, Danny, we'll start with you. Um, yeah, I think so. Just because um... – I think that Davis Mills is someone that probably would have been there when you drafted for the bears. Um, but while I think you gave up too much for it, completely understand why you did it, did it because the bears are just panicking over their quarterback room right now. You know, um, if, if your QB one, as you put it is on his third team in two years, um, it's it's not the best scenario to be in, 
Um, now, ultimately, I think the Bears do a draft day trade and draft a, a quarterback that's in the league, Teddy or someone like that. Um, I kind of joked with you, you know, we have a lightly used Gardner Minshew. Um, but I thought you gave up maybe a little too much, but I understand why you did it. Well, the thing was with him, too, I was looking at the team's picking, um, and I could potentially see, so even the Giants, which is who I traded with, potentially going Davis Mills, um, also in that number. Now, obviously, I had the pick with them, but Falcons. Um, so I was trying to think realistically, like, eh, you know, maybe I'd consider Davis Mills for the Falcons. I ended up going wide Davis, uh, which that's who I was going to go with for them regardless. But uh, then also another potential wild card, and that was the Raiders. Um, you know, maybe going Davis Mills. They went Eric Stokes at corner. Um, Derek Carr, obviously, there's been some questions there. So, uh, yeah, there was a few things there. But uh, overall, um, Matt, did I give up too much to get Davis Mills? I don't think you gave up too much to get a quarterback. I think you may have given up too much to get Davis Mills. Uh, I think I probably would have went, if you're looking in that range, Kellen Mond, Kyle Trask. Oh, fuck Kellen Mond. Fuck Kellen Mond. The guy sucks. How much more production does he have than Mills, though? I mean, at least he was healthy and played football. That's that's That was just the, big, the biggest thing with Mills for me is it's it's literally all projection. And I'm not an NFL scout, so I couldn't tell you if he's going to protect. <laughs> and neither of us are. That's why we're talking about this <laughs> right, on he's... Otard Huddle podcast. <laughs> right. I mean, he's six foot four, two hundred something pounds. So he looks like a good quarterback, but uh, I mean, I can't fault you for doing it. Personally, I wouldn't have went after him, but it's a total Ryan Pace move because I think, like uh, <laughs> like Danny was saying, they're panicking and they're trying to save their asses and their jobs right now. So I think they, they needed to make a splash doing something. I, I personally would have went a different way, but cannot blame you at all. And Corlin, let's hear it. Well, I mean, look, the Bears traded up to get Mitch Trubisky. Uh, I didn't do that. Let's not forget. Didn't do so, that. They didn't do that. So uh, I don't think you necessarily gave up too much, but I mean, uh, Davis Mills, I think you kind of, you probably could have sat there and still could have got him. I don't think he's, you know, uh, someone who's shooting up anyone's uh, draft boards at the, as, as we speak. But, you know, maybe he can be a day two surprise. Like, I mean, maybe the Saints, like we were talking about, maybe a, a team like uh, like the Bears or, you know, even uh, – I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think of – even somebody like the Giants, like, I mean, somebody who might not be sold on a quarterback who did draft in the last couple of years. So just to kind of push the quarterback room a little bit. But for him, I mean, it's, it's a good opportunity to compete and be around a veteran and to, to really get the best out of him. And it's, it could be a good situation because obviously he's not going to go in and be a projected starter while uh, QB1 is, quote, unquote, Andy Dalton. But, I mean, it's, it's a situation where he doesn't have any pressure. He can come in there and hopefully uh, – win a couple of reps in, uh, in, in fall camp and maybe be a starter one day, but who knows? Last question I want to ask before we wrap it up here. Saints, ideally in a perfect world, uh, first first two rounds, um, no explanation, but just give me two names here. Who do you hope to see them grab in round one and two? Cortland, let's start with you. I'd like to see them grab Asante Samuel, and if Barmore falls, I'd like to see that. 
Okay. Matt, you're up. So I'd like to see Trevon Morick at safety to kind of replace Malcolm Jenkins. And then second round, give me Rondell Moore for another weapon for the offense. Okay. Okay. All right. And Danny, let's uh let's hear your two. Round one, um, in a perfect world, I, I think you would hope that one of the two top corners fall, JC Horn. So I'll go JC Horn and Rondell Moore. Uh for me, I actually I I love what uh was able to get um in the mock. So I went Zaven Collins and then Amari Rogers, receiver from Clemson. Draft day is upon us. So let's fucking go i cannot wait um can't wait to see the trades made can't wait to see who teams uh sort of unwrap as their new christmas presents if you will it's gonna be a good day as it usually is i'm gonna start my day with some uh kevin costner and draft day Vontae mack no matter what which of course is gonna fucking be tough to watch it with the uh passing of chadwick bozeman i'm excited to see what's uh what happens in 21 with the draft so uh for Danny Hillman, Matt Labatou, Corlin Taylor, I'm Michael Hotard, and as always, honor the huddle. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Hotard Huddle Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and follow the podcast on all major platforms such as Anchor, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. Don't miss any updates from HotardHuddle.com by going to the website and subscribing to our email list. You can also follow Hotard Huddle on Facebook and Instagram at Hotard Huddle. As always, honor the huddle.